The following program is sponsored by the National Prayer Chapel.
Welcome to Pilgrim's Progress. I'm Ray Greenley from the National Prayer Chapel. The message today is prepare to meet thy God. It's a very sober time. Philadelphia was burning last night. Walmarts were being looted and burned. Washington, D.C., rioting. Wicked men and women, thugs, thieves. Portland, major cities across America being destroyed, burned out, police injured, forced to leave. The guard called in in Philadelphia. All of this just a beginning of what we're going to see in the coming weeks. And how does the church respond? I want to go right to the heart of the issue today. I want to share a story with you. I've shared it before on the air, but the Holy Spirit prompted me this morning to lay aside what I'd planned and to share this story. It comes from a book, a a Logos classic. The title of the book is Remarkable Miracles by C.G. Bevington. He was a holiness evangelist that ministered mainly in Ohio and in the South, Chattanooga, the 20s and 30s, 1920s, 30s. His heart cry was for holiness. Now, the reason I'm sharing this is because it describes scenes and events that we need to see in Washington, D.C. and in America. These things will seem very strange to you, out of place. But I know it's where God is calling the church. We are in the last day where Jesus is clearly speaking to the church and saying, through his prophets, through his pastors, prepare to meet thy God. He said that in Amos, the fourth chapter, to the people of Israel when he was about to bring destructive judgment upon them. Prepare to meet thy God, Israel. I'm going to begin midstream with the story because the story is not really the issue. The issue is how people were responding and what was happening in the hearts of people. You'll see it so strangely different than anything you've ever seen or heard in America. A pastor was urged by his 300-member church 
to invite Bevington for a series of meetings. Now, the pastor had told him that he ought not to preach holiness, but this doctrine of freedom from sin was at the very heart of everything Bevington preached. After three sermons, the pastor ended the series of meetings, said they could no longer meet at the church, and so people said, let's go to the schoolhouse. Well, they got thrown out of there, too. That night, Bevington went to the home where he was staying. It was a cold winter night just before Christmas. He found the house where he was to stay that night dark and his suitcases sitting out in the snow by the gate. He took that as a pretty good hint that he was no longer welcome there. And so, starting out like Abraham, not knowing where to go, he didn't know where any of the other families lived, and of course he had no GPS or telephone. (laughs) And so he set out, walking, Now, as he's walking, trudging in the snow, he was very cold. So cold that men had been cutting solid ice 22 inches thick out of a, out of a farm pond. He soon grew tired of carrying these heavy suitcases. One was filled with his books that he sold. He set the suitcases down and he prayed, Lord... Where am I going? The only answer he received is, What is that to thee? Follow thou me. Right, he sighed, and he picked up his suitcases, and he started on. He found himself in sort of a lane where great furrows had been cut in the road from drawing the the corn out of the field in the fall. He couldn't see these deep ruts as they were filled with snow and So he fell many times, cutting himself on the ice, and his face was bleeding in several places. His hands were so icy cold he could barely stand it. And he cried out to the Lord, and he said, Oh God, where am I going? Again the same answer, What is that to thee? So on he trudged. I won't share the full story, but he found a straw stack, a huge one, he dug in about 10 feet, about three feet above the ground and brought his suitcases into that snuggle place inside of that haystack and he slept there. Now, the next morning when he got up, he found he was but a short distance from the house where he was to hold the next part of the meeting. When he got there, he found that there were 25 people there with with saws and horses, and they were sawing up logs and making seats for the house. He asked the man who owned the house, 
is this the only two rooms you have? And the man said, well, what's the issue? These two rooms will hold more than the schoolhouse. No, is there a room upstairs, he said. Yes, but it's an unfinished attic. What do you want to go up there for? I want a place to pray. So he found the door at the ceiling that went into the attic, and he had a ladder, and he climbed up in that cold that cold room. And he lay down and immediately burst into great sobs and tears. He ignored the increasing noise downstairs as they finished setting up. Finally, after many hours of prayer, he saw that it was 9.30 p.m., so he went down the ladder. There were about 100 people waiting for him. But he said, I had no message. I only had a great burden that souls be brought under such conviction that they would see their real condition and fly to the Son of God for refuge. I want you to hear that. It's time to prepare to meet our God, and that means finally getting serious about our real spirit condition and not listen to the popular preachers of the day lie to you about the sinning Christian. Well, he got down on his face and he began to pray. In about a half hour, the pastor's the pastor's son came to him and said, are you going to preach? There are over a hundred people here. Everybody's, everyone's waiting for you to preach. All I could tell them is pray. Pray. Well, he finally got up and he said to the crowd, about a hundred people, this great battle must be fought out on our faces. I have no message to preach. You've had too much preaching. I have only a burden of prayer that each of you may be brought face to face with your real condition as God sees you. I beg you, fly for your lives to the Son of God who has made provision for your complete deliverance from all sin. At that, he, he crawled out of the window because he couldn't get to the door. And he made a beeline for his straw house where he lay on his face to plead and weep and moan and groan and wrestle all night. And finally, he checked the time and it was 5.30 a.m. And he fell asleep until late that afternoon. Then he crawled out washed himself in the cold, icy snow and went back to the house. There were 75 people there. About 20 were down praying as if they really meant business, some on their faces sobbing, others kneeling and praying, others their heads up pleading and weeping, others walking where they could find room. But everyone was pleading for mercy 
Mind you, these are all, quote, saved, unquote, people from the church. And among them is the son and daughter of the pastor. Well, he went up in the attic again and he got on his face. And they all asked him to please come down and preach. He said, no, I'm just going to pray. This reminds you of the story of William Seymour at Azuzu Street. He'd got up at the pulpit and he'd put his head under the table and all he'd do is pray for conviction of sin to come upon the people. That's what I've been doing. I've been praying and asking God to bring conviction on your hearts. I'm tired of the proud and the arrogant, hard-hearted. I'm tired of people calling themselves Christians and believing they're doing just fine while they're very worldly in their attitudes and their approaches. We're in such trouble in the church. We're in such trouble when we say this is a ministry, but it's really just a a business for money. Saying we're Christians, but what we're really about is lifestyle and comfort. It has to change. We can't go on. We can't go on like this. There has to be a change. They said to him, well, people are going to get tired of this and they're just going to leave and not return and then all of this work will be for nothing. Well, here was more logic to contend with, but I remained where I was. I could hear them praying and singing. About 10 p.m., I went down and found about 40 people who had finally gotten serious about their sin. And these included the pastor's son and daughter, He again slipped out to his haymow where he lay on his face to plead with God for them. And he held on, prayed all night. Finally, at 6 a.m., he rolled over and he slept all day again. He got up and had a, another snow bath, dressed himself, went back to the house and found there were about 200 people there, most of them in great misery. One man and his wife met me outside and began to tell me about the trouble they were having with their bad neighbor. I said, go inside, get down on your face and plead for mercy. Throw open your heart to God and get honest before him. Let him examine you. And they did so. Another came to him saying, what shall I do? I said, go get right with God. Why, I'm a good member here in this church. I repeated it again. Get right with God. Repent. Get yourself properly fixed up. Then matters can be more easily adjusted. Two sisters were the next to unload the terrible meanness of their neighbor, saying, we want you to pray for them as they're a terror to the whole neighborhood. 
you too are the ones who need praying for. Never mind those neighbors. Get right yourselves. Go through with God. Shocked, they informed me why, well, Mr. Bevington, we're members in good standing in this church. Well, you're all the worse for that. Well, we want our, we want our children saved. My son and daughter-in-law, my son-in-law. Well, get in there and get down on your faces and deal directly with God. Don't deal with Bevington. Well, there's no room inside. I could hardly believe their excuses. Make room then. Go into the kitchen if you have to. Oh, the kitchen's crammed full. I shouted at them, go in, go in, go in. I left those self-righteous complainers and went in my window and crawled in and slipped up the ladder to the attic. Soon the man of the house came and said, about 300 people are here. I finally went down and found many on their knees pleading. The man's son was crying as he said, oh, won't you preach? I'm so miserable and I need help. Please tell me what to do. Well, there was only room to stand right at the ladder, so there I began my text. Prepare to meet thy God. I believe that never before or since have I delivered such a message as was given during those 40 minutes. Everyone was writhing in great agony, some walking, screaming. Only about 60 could kneel, but they were doing good work. And oh, how God did send out the lightning bolts in great torrents. Feeling that I'd done all God wanted me to do, I hoisted the window and made my way to my accommodations, crawled into the familiar straw cave, got on my face and could do nothing but cry and groan and plead all night long. And then I slept again until evening. Well, I took another ice bath and I started back to the house and I found about 60 people there. I stopped and I stood at the ladder. As I waited there, the pastor came in and he began to lash me with his tongue, calling me all the names in the catalog. I was somewhat accustomed to such verbal expressions, so they didn't disturb me. I just remained speechless through it all. He finally wound up by ordering every one of his members out of there with the command never to return. Everyone arose and followed him out except his son the man and the family of the house, and one other man and his family. There were about 16 people left in the house. Suddenly I knew I was to preach, and so I did. I preached on the judgment and the wrath of God. The son, the man of the house, and his wife and the others prayed through by early morning. We had a blessed time. And that son did some wonderful preaching that night. Now, I went out again to my straw hotel. And I laid and wept and prayed for these people. Until noon. And then I went back to sleep. I went back that evening and found 22 were there. 
but all 22 were down on their knees, on their faces, pleading for mercy. Except those who had gotten through, and they were on their faces, pleading for entire sanctification, that is to have even the old nature removed from their hearts. He stayed until 3 a.m. Soon the woman of the house crawled up the ladder and said to me, I'm tired of this. I want my house back. I said to her, woman, get down those steps as quickly as you can and start screaming for mercy or you'll be in hell within 20 minutes. With a look of real shock on her face, back down she went with me right behind her. I tell you, she changed her tune. In 40 minutes, she struck fire. And then she preached until daylight. That brings me to the eighth day. The pastor's daughter got through. Brother Bevington, I've disobeyed my father for the first time in my life. I had to come here. Please pray that I may be willing to endure my father's punishment. She well knew the temper of her father. All right, I'll go up in the attic and plead your case. You be loyal to what you have received. So up I went. She and her brother had about a mile to walk home. He was seeking entire sanctification. But as he had a whole lot to undo, it was somewhat tedious matter. I was pleading that the experience of the two would so melt the father that he would be compelled to surrender. Finally, I felt the burden gone. Light was breaking in as I raised up off the sleep, off the attic floor, praising God for the daughter's victory. I went back to my straw stack. That was the ninth morning. The son and daughter arrived home. They went into the bedroom where his where their father was sleeping. He believed his daughter to be upstairs in bed, but she called out to him and said, Father, I disobeyed you last night. I just had to go back up there or go to hell. Now, Father, I'm ready and prepared for my punishment. The son was standing at her side with his head bowed, pleading for salvation of his father the pastor. Go to bed and let me alone, the father shouted. No, father, I want my punishment. I disobeyed you and I'm ready. At that he gave a yell and bounded out of bed and fell on his knees and began to cry out to God for mercy. The son and daughter dropped on their faces and in ten minutes their mother climbed out of bed beside them and she cried, O oh, children, pray for me too. I need what I believe you both have. So they wrestled in prayer until the following afternoon when the mother prayed through. Did you hear that? This pastor and his wife, with their children, prayed through the entire night until the afternoon of the next day. The father still did not get through. 
but he came and asked us back to the church that night. The mother finally prayed through early the next morning, but the father still did not get through. But as soon as it was daylight, he hitched up and went to every one of the men and women whom he'd called out of there and asked for their forgiveness. It took him three days to make the whole circuit round. He said that at the first house he went to, he asked forgiveness and invited the people out to the meeting. They closed the door and he started to leave when a voice said, And is that all? He looked around and saw no one near him. Not being used to the voice of God, he was quite puzzled. By the time he reached the gate, he heard the same voice again with the same words. Is that all? He went back and knocked on the door. And when they answered, he fell on his knees before these people and he really asked their forgiveness. And he did that for all 300 people in his congregation. The meeting was now back at the church. Now what happened is that it took the pastor five days to make restitution and to finally pray through in victory. I wanted to read what, the, what Bevington actually wrote. There were several incidents in the pastor's seeking that were of interest as he took five days and nights to kill him out. He rolled on the floor, he perspired profusely, he made restitution and put up quite a struggle, but he finally got through and he was a wonderful witness for several years. He said over 300 people came to the altar. There were people praying night and day in that church. Most prayed through powerfully and came to total victory. They made restitution for their sins. It was a five-week campaign. Now, I want to stop and talk about it. I've left out many things. What I want you to hear is that God moved in such a way in these people's hearts that they began to see themselves as they were, as God saw them. They were all church people. They were not pagans. They were, they were Christian people from a Methodist church. They all believed they were saved. But when Bevington began to preach and pray for them, they began to see themselves as they really were before a holy God. And they found that what they were doing was working on selected areas of improvement, but not just dying out. Now, I have to confess, I understand. It's taken me all of my life to finally 
come to the Lord Jesus and say, I'm done. I'm done. I'm dying out. I give up my I give up my life to you. I totally choose that I will belong to you. That I no longer will have my own opinions of things. That I will no longer own my life. You see, this whole thing is about entry into the kingdom of God by the blood of Jesus. As I said yesterday, flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God. There has to be a dying out and a new birth. When you're baptized, literally what you're saying when you're baptized is, Lord, I give you permission to come in and renovate my entire life. Now, we can take our whole, our whole life to be renovated and then fall short at the end and go to hell. Or we can just get out and get the job done. I'm asking you, are you willing to just get at it and get the job done? I can tell you now from my own experience, when you get down on your face and you begin to pray, it's going to seem like the skies are brass. It's going to seem like God's not even there. You're going to have to put your hand on Mark 11, 23, and 24. Well, let me read it for you. Let me read it for you. Mark the 11th chapter. Have the faith of God. I tell you the truth, if anyone says to this mountain, go throw yourself into the sea and does not doubt in his heart, but believes that what he says will happen, it will be done for him. Therefore, I tell you, whatever you ask for in prayer, believe that you have received it and it will be yours. You need to put your hand on this passage of scripture and you need to get on your face before God and read this aloud to him and say, oh God, I'm asking you to take the mountain of rebellion and self-centeredness, the mountain of sin in my heart, and cast it into the depths of the sea, that I could be washed and made clean by the blood of Jesus, that I would no longer play with darkness in any manner. Now, if you're like I have been in the past, you would have those favorite vlogs that you would go to or you would have those favorite places you'd like to go on the internet but if you're honest with me many of those things that you've been going to 
are not really clean. And they tempt you to sin. Or they stir up your sentimentality, your emotions. And so you enjoy them. Places you go that are ungodly. Places you go where you find pleasure, but it's not in Jesus. Oh, pastor, you're being very, very narrow. I'm a Christian. Well, that's not going to get the job done, is it? You're going to have to put your hand on that promise. Because you probably don't have anybody in your life who really knows what the inner heart is. And you probably have been able to hide very well the wicked old person that resides in your spirit that you deal with day after day. The scriptures say you can be washed and made clean by the blood of Jesus. Are you willing to put your hand on this passage and pray it and ask, O Lord, remove this mountain from my heart. The mountain of unforgiveness could be a a wife that has left or a husband who has gone. It could even be you're angry at God. It could be a sickness that you are so discouraged about. It could be a lack of, of money that you're angry about, that you're depressed and discouraged. The devil stole your joy away. Put your hand on this passage and command that mountain of darkness to be removed from your heart and from your life and stay there until you know you have the victory. If you leave and don't pray through, You'll have to go back and start all over again. I know I've done this. Where you pray, and it seems that heaven's gate is shut, and you can't make it through. And there's only one way to make it through, and that's to stay there in the presence of God and plead his promises. Ask him to convict that that heart that has no conviction. Ask him to reveal the true cause of your anguish and your pain. Ask him to come and deal with you. To do heart surgery. Stand on the promises of God that this mountain of sin can be removed from your life and the old man can be removed from your spirit that you could be a totally new person in Christ Jesus. Can I tell you, 
Jesus loves you. And he wants to wash you and make you clean. But the devil has put up such objections in your heart. The devil has surrounded you with people and things and events and everything to distract you. There's only one thing that is needful, and that is to get right with Jesus. That's it. Once you're right with Jesus, such joy will flood your soul. You will know the peace of God ruling in you. But he's going to have to come and remove that anger, bitterness, lust. He's going to have to come and remove that hurt, that anguish. I have to pray until peace comes in my heart. And then I know Jesus has heard me. This morning I came in the prayer closet again. I always do. And I began to pray for you. I began to ask Jesus... This is what I planned for today, but is this what you want me to do? No. And I was hesitant to read this story because I've gotten feedback from people who say, don't read us stories, just teach the scriptures, pastor. No, you don't need any more scripture teaching. You need Jesus, and you need to fall under deep, heartbroken conviction and be cleansed and healed and made new. Many of you are fat on the gospel of Jesus. You haven't, you haven't won anyone to Jesus. You've been very quiet. You've been ineffective in your ministry. Why? Because you've not been baptized in the fullness of the Holy Spirit. You gave God permission to work in your life, but you've hung on to those hard edges. Some of you, you see God as a hard man. You you have to bear the consequences of your sin. No. No. That only says you've not prayed through yet. Jesus bore not just my sin, but my consequences on the cross of Calvary. And now anything I go through is the discipline of the Lord to teach me to give way to him. I heard a man talk about the entrance to the freeway. And a man fearful of of getting on the freeway because he was a new driver, saw the heavy traffic, and he stopped. And someone bypassed him and shouted, Don't stop. Yield. (laughs) When you enter a 
full four-lane highway with heavy traffic like I-95. There's only one way. You maintain your speed and you merge. You yield the right-of-way to others and someone will open a slot for you and you can slip in. Well, many of you have stopped. You've been afraid to go any further with the Lord. And you haven't known how to go any further with the Lord. So you've stopped. Well, the way you go further with the Lord is you yield. You humble your heart. You yield the right of way to the Holy Spirit. And you let him cause you to be merged with the work of the kingdom of God. Let's take a few minutes and let's pray together. And probably tomorrow will be a prayer day as we approach the election. And Friday, I'm going to dedicate to prayer. So prepare your hearts, even write out a prayer if necessary. And prepare yourself to pray tomorrow for America, for our president, for the election. Let's pray now. Almighty God, it is time to prepare to meet you for you are coming in the clouds of glory. And Lord, I bring every person who's listened to this message today, I bring them before your throne and say, Oh God, Will you show each of us who we are before you? Will you show us any sin that remains in our heart that needs to be confessed and washed away? Any traits of wickedness that dwell within us that need to be dealt with? Any anger or bitterness or lust? And Lord, what restitution do we need to offer to another person and to you, Lord Jesus? I know there can be no repentance and forgiveness if restitution is not involved in that. And some, Lord, who are listening today have caused great pain and suffering in the hearts of others by what they have stolen or what they have said or what they have done or maybe all of the above. Lord, it's time, please, for your Holy Spirit to come and open before us the necessary work that we could enter into your kingdom above. Oh, Lord, I plead your mercy today. I plead your mercy today. I plead your blood that great conviction would fall upon the city of Washington, D.C., that men and women would begin to come before you and weep and wail and scream. Lord, I don't see that happening. People are not coming to the prayer chapel in droves and saying, we need to get right with Jesus, which tells me there is an absence of the Holy Spirit in Washington, D.C.,
And the devil has done everything he can to keep us captive to our thoughts and to our beliefs and to our wickedness. Oh, Lord, if you don't come, we will not be saved. The city will perish. We will be destroyed. Lord, I come pleading both your justice and your mercy. Lord, I, I don't know how to deal with this. My eyes are upon you. I don't know what else to say on this radio broadcast. It's in your hands. All I know is that these precious ones don't need no, more preaching. They need more prayer. They need more honesty. They need conviction of sin. They need to see that they can be made whole. Lord, they need to see themselves as they truly are before you, blind and naked and miserable. Lord, would you come and speak to your people? Would you call everyone to be crucified with you, Jesus? to die out. Lord, it took this preacher five days to die out. It will take some of these people a week or more to die out, but it must be done. Lord, would you come and do this? In the name of Jesus, I pray. Amen. Well, you've been listening to Pilgrim's Progress. be praying for you today and tonight I'm praying for you I'm praying that you will finally lay your hands on this promise of God and command this mountain of sin to be removed from your life and believe that he can do it and wants to do it that he wants to wash you and cleanse you and heal you and restore you and fill you with his joy and with his peace. But you're going to have to pray. I'd love to hear from you. I just got a, a wonderful note from Gail. Gail, thank you. I'm going to try the the recommended treatment for ear infection. Thank you for your kindness. I wish you were closer. I'd love to meet you. In fact, I'd love to meet all of you. Thank you to those who have contributed for the cost of this radio broadcast. Thank you. You can write to me at the National Prayer Chapel, Post Office Box 2346, Two Woodbridge, Virginia, 22195. National Prayer Chapel, Post Office Box 2346, Woodbridge, Virginia, 22195. Now you can also go to our webpage, nationalprayerchapel.com. And there you'll find the broadcasts, 
Today's will go up probably this afternoon or evening. You'll find a podcast or you'll find a YouTube video. Or if you'd like to see all of the videos that are available, you can just type in Google National Prayer Chapel or Ray Greenley YouTube, and you'll find all the videos of the past, over a thousand of them. Would you subscribe to our channel? If you're on the YouTube, would you just subscribe and hit the like button? I'm looking forward to meeting all of you. Thank you for praying for me. I'll be praying for you. Tomorrow will be a day of prayer. I hope. God bless you, my brother, my sister. I love you. I'll talk to you soon. Of his glory.